Well, I'm in the hospital, and it is the day after my first daughter has been born, and I am holding her, and I'm looking at those beautiful little toes and those perfect little ears and kissing that wonderful little head. And I'll be honest, newborns, kind of weird looking, right? Like, I know a lot of people think they're cute, but I kind of think they're ugly. But mine, most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Oh, my. And as I'm standing there, just sort of basking in it, this thought comes into my head, and I think, I'm going to screw this kid up, aren't I? <laughs> Ever been there? <laughs> Raising a human being. So complicated, so important, so many ways that it could go wrong, and we give the job to amateurs. What's going on? Uh, what, what's a new parent to do? How do you figure this out? Well, for most of us, we just go to the internet and we search how not to screw up my kid, which is definitely a mistake because all of a sudden you get all sorts of opinions coming your way. You know, there's mommy blogs and Facebook friends and your relatives have ideas. Everybody's got an idea of this is the thing you've got to do to make sure your kid grows up okay and doesn't end up as a serial killer, you know? One person says, it's all about cloth diapers and organic baby food and get that. And the other person says, it's music and art, expose them at an early age. And this person says, keep them away from screens. And that person says, give them an iPad, educational apps, really good for them. Another person's like, you got to hold your baby. Never let them cry, breastfeed them until they're 11 years old. Otherwise, they're going to be anxious and insecure their whole life. Another person's like, no, 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 no. You need a schedule, strict schedule. You feed them, burp them, sleep them, spank them in that order five times a day, whether they need it or not. Otherwise, they're going to be entitled selfish brats, okay? Another person's like, don't worry about any of that stuff. Just rub your baby with essential oils until they smell like a Yankee candle store. It's great. Who knows? I mean, maybe all of those things are good. Maybe none of those things are good. That's the problem. So much clutter. It's easy to feel overwhelmed, to feel lost. And you wish someone would just sort of cut through it all and sort of give you a path towards what, what is really important. Well, today we are starting a series that we're calling Pathway. And the image of a pathway is significant for two reasons. Uh, first, the, the focus of this series is on leading kids to walk with Christ. And walking with Christ is an image that the Bible uses all the time to talk about a spiritual life. Uh, the, the Christian life is a way, a path, a road. We call ourselves followers of Jesus because we're, we're walking somewhere with him and he is leading us. He is the trail guide on our journey. And, and so this series is about how we can encourage the kids in our lives to follow the lead of Jesus. And we're going to talk for four weeks. We're going to talk about four different age groups. Today, we're going to talk about preschoolers. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about elementary school kids. We're going to talk about students. And then we're going to talk about adult children. The other reason Pathway is a good image for our series is because we know that parents could use some guidance. Uh, we're, we're supposed to teach our kids to walk with Christ. How, how do you actually do that? It's kind of a daunting task, you know? It'd be really helpful if someone would just sort of give us a, a map, a guide of how to go about doing this. And so that's what we're going to try to help with. We've launched this new Parent Pathway website for that reason. And the reason we're doing this series is to give you some practical ways to actually lead the kids in your life to know and love God. Now, before we get too far, I do want to address the, the non-parents in the room. Because you might be thinking, great, four-week parenting series? I guess the next month of church is not for me. Um, First thing I would say to that is this. Even if you don't have kids right now, there is a good chance at some point in your life you will have kids. 85% uh, of American adults are parents at some point in their life. And so that means many of you, uh, even the teenagers in the room, uh, one day this is going to be a responsibility you're going to have. And so even if it's a decade away, thinking about how you're going to interact with kids is a big enough deal to think about it ahead of time. 
Of course, some of you will never have kids, and that's okay. Not everybody does. Jesus didn't have any kids. Uh, But you know what the really striking thing about Jesus is? One of the things he was known for was his love for children. He absolutely loved children. He said, let them come to me. He welcomed them. He instructed them. He cared for them. And we should all be like Jesus in that respect. We should care for all of the kids in our lives, whether or not we're their parents. I've got this friend who is a pastor in Rwanda, and he was here in the U.S. studying for grad school for a couple of years. And during that time, he only could go back home for a couple of months each year. And he had to leave his family behind because he has like seven or eight kids. And so one day I asked him, I said, Emmanuel, how... How do you do this? I mean, how, how can you leave your kids behind? And what, what does your wife do? How does she take care of all those kids? And he just laughed at me. He said, Clayton, in Africa, we have this wonderful thing. It's called community. And he says, we, we just open the front door of our house every day and our kids run out and the village raises them. It's great. And my whole church is out there looking out for my kids and raising them well. They come in at, at night. I don't worry about them the whole day. He says, I don't even worry about my wife because when I moved out, three women from the church just moved into our house. We didn't even have to ask them. They just did it. She's doing okay. She got all the help she needs. Now, you may think that that's kind of a a stretch for those of us out here in the western suburbs of Chicago, but there is something about that that's closer to the biblical vision than what we usually do. Uh, For most of us, when we see other people's kids, we think, uh, that's not my responsibility, you know? That kid covered in food because they're, you know, feeding their, their infant or they're chasing a, a toddler through a busy store. And we look at that and we say, as they do in Poland, not my circus, not my monkey, you know? <laughs> but it, that's not how the Bible describes it. We are not meant to be in isolated nuclear families by ourselves. Parents certainly are the first and the primary caregivers for their children in in all ways, spiritual and otherwise, but they are not the only adults responsible for their kids. The, The passage we're about to look at is addressed to all of the nation of Israel, not just the parents in Israel. And throughout the Bible, there is an understanding that the whole community of faith is invested in the next generation. In fact, research shows that uh, the number one factor other than parental faith uh, that that determines whether or not a kid will uh, stick with their faith once they leave their parents' house is how many other adult relationships they have with someone who is a follower of Christ, Uh, how many other relationships they have within the church before they leave home. Uh, That's why I I love it when uh, my family, we come into Bartlett campuses, which is where we attend most often, and and my kids run in the kids' world, and they go and they see Miss Kim, and they they see Miss Robin, and my little two-year-old runs up to Pastor Andy and gives him a hug. I love that, because I know that as a parent, I cannot do it on my own. This is is not a one-person or a two-person job, and that's why I want to challenge you, whether you are a parent or not, uh, think about the ways you're going to invest in the kids in your lives. Uh, that, that might be as simple as being intentional when you interact with your nieces and nephews or with your friends' kids. Uh, it, it might be something like volunteering here at Christ Community Church, uh, signing up to, to help out in Kids World or work with students in, in Genesis or Mosaic. Uh, easy ways to do that. You can go out in the atrium and we've got signups there. You can uh, let us know through the uh, weekly welcome or the app or you can go online. Uh, find a way to serve the next generation. Uh, Whether or not you've got kids, this series is for you because it's really about children more than it is about parenting. Well, today we are going to focus in particular on the spiritual lives of preschool kids. 
And that's the reason I'm up here, because I pretty much only have experience in uh, raising preschool kids. Uh, I have three children. I have a a five-year-old, I have a two-year-old, and we have one on the way due in September. So that's pretty exciting. Now, I I will tell you right now, I'm going to use a lot of examples uh, from my own family today. And the, the reason I'm doing that is not because I think our family has it down. You know, we, we know the best way. This is the only way you should be like us. Uh, the main reason I'm doing it is because this is the family I know the best, so I have the most examples from it. Uh, but I'm also telling you this um, because I want you to get a little window into the life of uh, your pastor and his family. Because uh, what I want you to know is you do not need to be some kind of like ministry professional uh, to spiritually nurture your kids. The things that we do uh, are actually really simple, uh, and any of us could do them. Um, and I also want you to know, I want you to see the fact that uh, for me, uh, b- being a dad, it's a lot of joy, a lot of fun, but I find it really difficult. Uh, it is not something that comes naturally for me. Uh, my wife, Michelle, is a great mom, but she would tell you the same thing. Uh, we, we do a lot of trial and error to figure out what works, and it is not obvious to us. And I think that that's the case for most parents. So I want you to be able to see that that's true uh, of me too. Uh, the passage that we're going to look at today is in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the, the fifth book in the Bible. So if you start at the front and you flip forward, you should find it pretty quick. If you've uh, got your weekly welcome and the CCC Life app, you can follow along there too. Uh, the passage we're going to look at today is undoubtedly the most important passage in the entire Old Testament. The reason I know that is because Jesus said so, so it's probably true. Uh, He was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? And this is the passage that he quoted in response. And then he said, this passage is actually a good summary of the heart of what the Old Testament teaches. So it's kind of a big deal. Uh, For some context, what's going on here is the the people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And they've recently been set free because uh, God sent a a guy named Moses to go in and uh, uh, do some miracles and to lead the people out of slavery and into the promised land of Canaan. And now they, they are standing on the border of this promised land. They're about to enter into the land. And Moses is giving the final instructions, the final charge of here's how to live life in your new home. And this is what he says, verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. One of the things I appreciate about this passage is that it just cuts through the clutter. It just tells you this is the number one priority in life. It gives you your goal, your goal. This command to love God acts as a kind of compass for us as we navigate the path of life. It points us toward our ultimate destination, both for ourselves and for our children. As parents, as grandparents, members of the community of faith, our goal is children who love God. Children who love God, that's it. Uh, All all the other goals for our children might be good, but they come in a distant second place to this. Uh, School success, it's important, but not as important as a relationship with God. Uh, Social skills, emotional intelligence are crucial, but you can teach your kid to relate to everybody else in their life really well, but if they don't know how to relate to God, what have you done for them? You you can give your kid a well-rounded range of experiences in sports and music and other cultures and nature and all of this, but if God is not at the center of their life, there's no way their life can ever be well-rounded. 
The health and the safety of your kid matters, but if they are not spiritually healthy and eternally safe, then all of your efforts to protect your kids are meaningless. Loving God, being in a love relationship with God, that is our goal for us and for our kids. God wants your child's heart. And parents, that's why God gave your child's heart to you. No one has more influence on your kid's heart than you do. And that's on purpose. God, God made a relationship that was intense enough to get at the deep places of a person as they're being formed. Now, that's why the, the preschool years matter so much to a kid's spiritual life. Uh, these are the years when you bond the strongest with your kid. Uh, all, all of those lullabies, the, the cuddles, the, the, the wiping of noses in the potty train, all of that is spiritually significant. Because it's through that that your child learns to trust you. They, they learn how to give and receive love. Uh, they learn where to turn when they're sad or happy or, or frustrated. And, and all of this bonding in the early years of a child's life, it's, it's really the beginning of their spiritual life. It's the foundation on which the next few decades of spiritual influence is built. Now, if our goal for our children is for them to love God, we should probably understand what we mean by that. What, what does this word love refer to here? Well, look again at the passage. It, it begins by saying, Hear, O Israel... The Lord your God, the Lord is one. The love that God wants from us and from our kids is an exclusive love. There is one God and he has no rivals. The love that we give to God is a loyalty that nobody and nothing else in our life gets. Our devotion to God is exclusive and supreme. The love that we give to God also is all-encompassing. Look again, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Heart, soul, and strength. In the Bible, a person's heart doesn't mean exactly what we usually mean when we use that term in English. Uh, for us, the, the heart is the place where your feelings are. It's where, where your emotions reside. Uh, but in, in Hebrew, the, the idea of the heart is more where you think and where you make decisions. It's kind of the command center of a person's life. It's the core of who they are. A way to think of it is this. You can imagine every single person in the world has an invisible arrow sticking out of their chest, pointing towards things. And, and this arrow is where we give our attention, where we give our passion, where we, where we uh, direct our energies towards. This arrow uh, points us in our orientation in life. Uh, for those of you who are, are, are math geeks, you might think of this as every single person is a vector, okay? And your heart sets the direction of the vector. Uh, the, the word soul here is basically something, it means something like life or life force, which sounds way too Star Wars-ish for most Bible translators. Um, so the, the way to think of this is more like the vitality or the energy that a living thing has. We might say it's a person's passion. Uh, if those, those math nerds out there, you're still thinking about that vector, you're like, oh, this is cool. Um, the, if the heart sets the direction of the vector, uh, the, the soul is the magnitude of the vector. It's the size, the strength of how you pursue something. Uh, the, the word strength here, it doesn't just refer to your body, your physical strength. It really refers to all of the resource and resources a person has, including your money, your possessions, your relationships. So if, if your soul is like your internal passion for something, uh, your, your, your strength is all of the resources you have to put towards pursuing that passion. So you can think of it this way. Uh, if a, a human being were a car, their heart would be the steering wheel. It's what points you in a certain direction. Their soul would be the gas pedal. You know, you can either give it a, a little bit of juice or you can live pedal to the metal. And your strength would be the engine. How much horsepower do you have uh, to go in the direction that you're headed? 
The the idea here is that God wants a love that's not half-hearted, not halfway. He wants an all-encompassing love that involves all of we are and all that we have. And because of that, this kind of love is also an obedient love. Look look back at verse 6. Notice how the idea of loving God is linked with his commandments. This is really consistent throughout the Bible. Jesus says it straight up. He says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Now, this obedience is not supposed to be some sort of, you know, hollow, lifeless obedience that's you know, just sort of compliance out of duty. Uh, that's not what God wants from us. But what he wants is obedience that flows from a heart that just trusts him and loves him, that comes from deep inside. If it's not motivated by love, it's not the kind of obedience that God wants. But even so, there must be obedience. If you don't obey God's commands, you cannot claim to love God. If you don't obey God's commands, you cannot claim to love God. So so this is our goal. Children who love God with all that they have, and they do so in a way that leads them to to obey God's commands. Now the question is, how do you do that? I mean, that's a really high bar. How do you actually work on a kid's heart so that they actually develop that kind of love? Well, fortunately, Deuteronomy gives us some practical advice about how to do this. Let's look in verse 7. It says, impress them on your children. Uh, Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Uh, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Uh, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. How do you shape the heart of a child? You do it with your routine, your routine. Uh, every year growing up, my family would go on a, a family road trip, and we uh, would travel someplace for two weeks, uh, somewhere in North America. We would go around, and as a result, I have actually driven to all 48 continental states and to uh, a number of provinces in Canada, all in a 15-passenger van, which is very glamorous, let me tell you. Uh, One of my favorite family road trips was out to Utah, where we toured the national parks there. And and one of the amazing things in the parks out there are these massive uh, uh, sandstone arches. Any of you ever seen those? They're beautiful, amazing formations. And and you look at them and you think, how did that happen? Where did those come from? You know, did did something like blast a hole through the mountain and leave this, this arch there? Or, you know, was there some sort of cataclysmic event that just formed these rocks like that? It's really interesting. The, the way they got there was actually a, a slow, gradual process. Uh, over millennia, the, the winds uh, around there uh, picked up sand and bits of, of stone and blasted these holes through the mountain. And that's why the arches are there. Curiously, the human heart is formed in much the same way. Uh, it, most hearts are not formed in one big moment. Our hearts are, hearts are shaped through countless small experiences. Day after day, the the things that we do, the things that happen to us, these are the things that form who we become. And and this is especially true with small children. Uh, Routines are really important for preschoolers, and and that's by design. And think about it. How how come you don't have to think when you use a fork or when you button a shirt? Uh, How come you know that you're supposed to take turns talking and listening in a conversation? At least most of us know we're supposed to do that. You know, you you can use the bathroom without too much trouble. That's because the first five years of your life, you did those things over and over and over again until they became second nature. The the preschool years are all about kids going through the basic tasks of life over and over again until they master them. Well, as followers of Jesus, we think that there are certain things like prayer, studying the Bible, worshiping God. Uh, These are the basic activities of life, right along with dressing or feeding or grooming yourself. 
A, a child needs to practice these things over and over again so that they become as easy and natural for them as washing their hands. Uh, shaping a child's daily routine is one of the, the best ways to shape a child's heart. And that's why Deuteronomy gives uh, some practical suggestions about how to do this. One of the first is this, have purposeful conversations with kids. Look at verse seven, talk with them as you sit at home. I, I love this because it, it, it's, it's something you're probably already doing, just talking to your kids. It's as simple as that. And, and with preschoolers, it's super easy, super easy. There are two ways to have a purposeful conversation with a preschooler. The first is ask them questions. Little kids love to be asked questions. Uh, seriously, you ask them questions about all sorts of things in life, their colors, their shapes, ask them something about God. Uh, if you need uh, an idea of a question you can ask a preschooler about God, uh, Kids World actually has this cool little resource, these little table tents that they've got available that you can just stick on your kitchen table. And it's got a whole list of questions that you can ask kids of all different ages. This is what they've got for the, the preschool age kids. What is your favorite thing about God and why? What is one way you followed God today? What can you thank God for today? Simple questions. Now, you might not get a long back and forth on some deep theological conversation with a four-year-old, but you might be surprised at the kind of insight uh, and, and ideas that your kids express when you ask them those things. The other way to have a purposeful conversation with a preschooler is just tell them things. I mean, in a little kid's mind, adults are the people who are around there just randomly telling them things all day long. They don't know why they're saying those things. And so if you just throw in a random thing about God, they're not gonna look at you funny. They're just gonna think it's like everything else you wanna tell them about. Uh, and so it, it could be easy. If you are pouring a bowl of cereal for your little brother or sister, you could say something like, isn't it great that God provides food for us every day? He must really love us. Or, or you say uh, you're, you're reading a book to your friend's kid, you're over at their house and it's some book about nature or you know, ocean life or something and you say, wow, it's amazing that God made all of these things. He's such a good God. Just throw it in there, talk, talk about it uh, as you think of it. The next thing uh, Deuteronomy says about routines is to take advantage of the in-between moments. The in-between moments. It says, talk about them when you walk along the road. Now, the modern equivalent for us of walking along the road is when you're riding in the car. In our family, we found that uh, this is the perfect time for family prayer. Uh, I know that a, a lot of families, they'll try to do prayer at mealtimes. That's sort of a traditional time for it. But I'm just going to be real here. Mealtimes in my family are insane. Like, it's chaos. We get the food for the kids, and we set it down, and Michelle and I, we go to try to get our food. By the time we've turned around, and it's like it's smeared everywhere, and they're getting up, and they're in each other's faces, and they're like, there is no, like, okay, let's all sit down and have a moment before we touch our food, and we'll pray. And no, like, this doesn't happen. So you know when we pray? When they're strapped into a five-point harness in the backseat of the car. <laughs> Perfect. But here's, here's what we do. Uh, we just pray one or two sentence prayers about whatever we're headed out to do. So if we're going to a friend's house, we'll say, dear God, please help us be good friends. Help us to love our friends the way you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Really simple. Or another thing we do is uh, when an emergency vehicle goes by, if our, our kids see an ambulance, a fire truck, they go pray, pray, pray. And we've actually taught them to do it. So they, they'll say something like this. They'll say, dear God, heal the person who's hurt. Or they'll say, dear God, help the helpers take care of whoever's in trouble. Or they'll say, dear God, please don't let anybody who loves them be scared. Or dear God, if they don't know you, help them know you. They'll just pray for what's going on. 
in the in-between times. Uh, the next thing Deuteronomy talks about is what I call bookend rituals. Uh, we're supposed to talk to our kids about God when we lie down and when we get up. And this means morning and bedtime routines, which if you've got a preschooler, they probably already have one of these. Uh, our morning routine is pretty simple. Uh, what we do is uh, Michelle and I, we pray for each other. Um, we, we gather the kids to do this. Sometimes they're squirmy, some not, some, sometimes they're still. Uh, but we'll, uh, I'll pray for just a minute for Michelle and for the, each of the kids. And then Michelle will pray for me and my day. And, and that's that. Uh, our bedtime routine is a, a little bit more involved, but still pretty simple. Uh, for bedtime after pajamas and potty and brushing teeth and the, that stuff, we sit down and we do four things. We read the Bible, sing a song, pray a prayer, and receive a blessing. Uh, sometimes we do this separately with our kids. Sometimes we do it together. Uh, for Bible time, we just pick a kid's Bible. Uh, some of our favorites are these. Uh, we've got the Jesus Storybook Bible, the Big Picture Story Bible, Psalms for Young Kids. We found all of these are good for preschool age kids. Um, actually, if you're looking for a, a list of, of Bibles and resources for kids, the, that Parent Pathway website uh, has a whole list for every age that you can check out. Uh, we have found the key to Bible time is learning how to read the Bible well to a kid. Um, sometimes if, you, if you're reading the Bible, you might think you're supposed to use some sort of like holy religious voice because this is God's word. Um, I would recommend against that. I would say read the Bible in the same way you would read any other kid's book. So we, we throw emotion into it. We do voices for the, the, the characters in the stories. We do the whole bit. Uh, we try to, uh, we let our kids interrupt and ask a question or uh, say a thought. Even if it's sort of a tangent, it doesn't matter. We, we want them to have the freedom to do that. Uh, we model uh, reactions to the story. Uh, we, when Jesus walks on water, we say, wow, wait, Jesus could walk on water? How did he do that? Or, or when the, the daddy comes up to Jesus because his little girl is sick, we say, oh no, do you think he was scared? Or, or uh, when Pharaoh refuses to let the people leave Egypt, we say, oh no, that's not good. How are they gonna get out? And we teach them to respond. We, we ask them questions. You say, what? What do you think it would be like to be there? What would you be feeling if you were there? I wonder what Jesus was thinking. What, what do you think he was thinking? Uh, we, we don't mind if our kids get up and they move. Uh, my my five-year-old is really kinetic. She doesn't learn anything unless she's doing something. So sometimes she will get up and she will just act out the story. She'll, she'll do the things the characters were doing. Or she'll grab a piece of paper and she'll start coloring a picture of what's going on in the story. And we encourage that. We, we want our kids to know that the Bible is there to respond to, to interact with, to ask questions about. Uh, after we read the Bible, we, we sing a song. Uh, when the kids were real little, it was simple songs like Jesus Loves Me. Uh, but once they got just a little bit older, we started just singing the same songs that we sing here on the weekends at Christ Community. We just picked a, a few of our favorites. We actually just went to the internet and printed out the lyrics and uh, left those papers in their room. And that's kind of our songbook for the night. And we'll pick one song out and, and sing it together. Uh, after the song, we, we pray. And this is my favorite part. Uh, here at Christ Community, we teach people of all ages to pray using an acronym called CHAT, C-H-A-T, confess, honor, ask, and thank. And so that's what we all do when we pray. Uh, but for the, the little ones, they, they don't quite understand an acronym yet, and they don't really know what confess and honor mean. So we use some phrases that they say every single day. We use, I love you, sorry, thank you, and please. And the way we did it is we actually made stations in our kids' rooms uh, to where, where they've got little posters on their wall that have that. Uh, I love you because, thank you because. And we go to each station and, and we pray those parts of the prayer. Now, 
if you are imagining some, you know, cute craftsy thing that we've made for our kids, I want to show you an example of what one of these looks like. It is a ratty piece of paper that's taped up there and a four-year-old has been scribbling on it, okay? So like we are parents of young kids. Uh, we don't have energy to put our dishes in the dishwasher. We're not going to do some Pinteresty thing, all right? Like it works for us. Uh, it just whatever it takes. But what we do is we go to each of these stations and um, uh, Annalise, our five-year-old, will decide, okay, which station she's going to do and which one uh, I'm going to do. And that way she gets to practice praying and I get to model praying uh, each and every night. And she actually made up motions for them, okay? So she, it's, I love you, I'm sorry, thank you, and please. And, and recently, we added a fifth station, a, a station that we call why. It, it's the place where we go to ask God a question. Uh, we want our kids to know that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay to take God the things that you just don't understand and express them to him. And so at the Y station, uh, over the last six months, these are some of the questions that Annalise has asked. She said, God, why can't I see you? Why do sad things happen to people and you don't fix them? Why is it so hard to do the right thing? Jesus, why are you taking so long to come back? Why is the Bible hard to understand? These are questions that were not prompted by us. You would be amazed at the things your kids wonder about God. Give them a chance to express that. The, the last thing we do at bedtime is a blessing. We often use uh, the blessings that are on the, the sheets that we get from Kids World. Uh, my daughter really likes that because they have motions to go along with them, so we'll do something like that. Uh, and then I always finish up with something that my dad did every night when I was growing up. And the last thing we say to our kids before the lights go out is, Jesus loves you, and so does Daddy. So that's what we do for our bedtime routine. The, the last thing Deuteronomy talks about in terms of routines is using tangible symbols, tangible symbols. Uh, look at how it says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, on your door frames, on your gates. Uh, little kids respond well to symbols. They, they don't know how to read yet. Their, their whole world is visual. So symbols make sense to them. Uh, one example from our home, uh, at our front door, we have a, a cross and we have a, a little sign that has our last name on it. And so uh, sometimes when we're headed out, I will pick up my two-year-old before we leave uh, the door and I'll stop and I'll say, hey, Lydia, what's that? She'll say, cross. I'll say, what's the cross mean? And she'll say, God loves us. And I'll say, what's that? And she'll say, name. And I'll say, yeah, what's your name? Lydia Keenan. And I'll say, what's my name? Daddy Keenan. What, what's your sister's name? Lisey Keenan. What's mom's name? Mommy Keenan. I'll say, that's right. These are the most important things about you. God loves you and you're one of us. And, and now our kids, they know that little liturgy. And so if I see a cross somewhere out in public, I can say, hey kids, look, a cross, what's that mean? And they'll say, God loves us. They get it. Little kids understand symbols. This is how we shape our kids' heart, through, through the routines. Not just through bringing them to church on the weekends or a few times a year. It's through the everyday, ordinary stuff. Now, before I move on, I, I want to address those of you who are working parents here. Because I, I know that some of you are thinking, great. Uh, how am I supposed to do all that? My, my kid is with, uh, uh, at a daycare all day. I don't get to set their, their everyday routine. Uh, the first thing I want to say is this. Uh, do not 
uh, be stressed about this. I, my wife uh, uh, worked up until just very recently and our oldest daughter was with a babysitter every single day. And so I know the, the pressures that uh, uh, working parents can feel because even just from inside, even if no one is saying it, you might feel like a little guilt or you feel like I'm letting my kid down or I'm not doing enough. Uh, and, and I just don't want you to have this feel like an added burden in a way uh, that, that paralyzes you. Um, there are financial situations, there are life situations, you're a single parent or whatever, that make it so you got to do these sorts of things. So do not feel uh, like you're failing your kids because you can't do all of these detailed things. The, the, the two practical things I would say to you is this. First, be as proactive as possible. I know you're already doing this uh, about whoever's watching your kids during the day. If it's possible, and it's not always, uh, have that person be a follower of Christ. Uh, you want to give your kids the, the most exposure to other people who love Jesus so that that rubs off on them. The, the second thing I would say is do not underestimate the power that you have when you're with your kid, the power to set their routines, the, the bedtimes, the mornings, the weekends that you're there. This is incredibly powerful stuff. No one, even someone that they're with all throughout the day, has as much impact on your child's heart as you do. And so what you do with them in those, those precious moments really, really makes a difference. Make sure you take advantage of that. Your, your routine shapes your preschooler's heart, but so does your example. Love for God is more caught than taught. In many ways, who you are, not what you do, is the most significant factor in whether or not your child learns to love God. Because kids, they, they automatically pick up what's important to you, what's important to the adults in their life. How do they pick up on this? Well, two ways. The first, kids see how you respond to success. Look at verse 10. Moses says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. A land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses is saying, look, you're about to enter into an amazing land and things are going to start to go really well for you. You're going to have more than you need. And when you're enjoying those good times, it's going to be really important that you remember the one who rescued you and brought you out of slavery, that this is a gift from him. Another way of saying this is how you respond to good times in your life is going to reveal your heart. It's going to show what you love, who you trust, what matters most to you. And that is something that your children, I guarantee, are going to pick up on. Especially small children, they are wired to figure out what the adults in their life get excited about. They're always looking to see, okay, what's important? What do we celebrate? What makes us happy here? And so for, for, it's really important for you to have, as your definition of success, deep in your heart, love for God and love for other people. If it's something else, they're going to pick up on that. You, you got to, when things go well in your life, you got to know where you go. Is it something you just say, well, we worked hard or we're, we were lucky or we deserve this? Or do you say, thank you, God, this is a gift. The kids are going to see that. The other way kids pick up on your heart is where you turn in times of trouble. Look at verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep his commands, the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. 
Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. Uh, These verses are packed, but this is basically what's going on. Moses is telling the people, you're about to come into this land and not only will you have good times, but you're also gonna face opposition. Things are gonna come against you and you're gonna have to decide how are you gonna respond when you face an enemy, when you face a threat? Are you going to turn to me, uh, to turn to God, or are you going to turn to other gods, the gods of the people around you? Uh, How you respond in hard times really reveals what you depend on, what you trust. And your kids see this. Your, Your kids know when you are stressed. They know when trouble hits. Even if they don't understand all of the details, they know you're anxious, and they're trying to see how you respond to that, how you handle it. It's important for them because when they see where you turn when times get tough, it tells them where they should turn when times get tough. How you respond to difficulty reveals your heart to your kids. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, wait a minute. We're talking about preschoolers here. Do preschoolers, like the little kids, really pick up on this stuff? Oh, you bet they do. Uh, A few years ago, my my, uh, daughter was three years old, and we were sitting at the, the dinner table, and I said, hey, Annalise, how was your day? And, and most of the time, as a three-year-old, she just sort of spat back the, you know, rote answers she had learned, you know, good. And today she goes, my job is so busy. I need to write an email to my boss. It's like, where'd you get that? Where'd you pick that up on? From her workaholic parents who are always complaining about how busy they are. Uh, She heard from us the way we get stressed out and the things we think solve our problems is do more, work harder. She she picked up on it even though she didn't totally understand what was going on. If you meet a kid who who wants to impress you and show off all the facts they know and how smart they are, where'd they get that? It's probably because the adults in their life praise them for being smart. Uh, If you meet a kid who's obsessed with how they look and they, they know the brand names of clothes and what's cool and what's not, where'd they get that? It's not from themselves. They got it from adults in their life. If you meet a kid who's got to win the game or they throw a fit when their their park district team loses, why do they do that? Well, maybe they've got a parent who screams and yells at the TV when their sports team loses. Uh, Kids pick up on what's important to you even when you're not trying to pass it on. And that means that in some ways, if you want your child to have a healthy spiritual life, the most important thing you can do is to make sure you have a healthy spiritual life. Uh, I once heard a preacher put it this way, what you give your heart to is what your children live with. What you give your heart to is what your children live with. What you love, what you value, what you pursue, your your character, your passions, these are the things that make the biggest impact on your child's heart. Uh, That means you have got to make sure you're spending time in prayer, spending time in community with other believers, studying God's word, and you're engaged in worship on a regular basis. It's by you growing in love for God that your children will grow in love for God. Now, I, I do want to speak to those of you who are listening to all of this stuff. And, and, and it's, it's kind of a hard message because you're thinking about your kid's other parent who is not a believer. And, and, and you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, if love for God is more caught than taught, then what are they catching from, from her or from him? And, and I know that that is a hard place. And so I want to give you some hope. Uh, in the New Testament, there are a couple of books. They're called First and Second Timothy. They are letters that were written to a pastor named Timothy who was a leader in uh, an important church, and he was a, he's a hero of the faith. Now, how did Timothy become a hero of the faith? Well, Timothy's family, they were not all believers. 
His mother and his grandmother, they, they both loved Jesus. But his father wanted nothing to do with Christianity. And you know how Timothy came to be such a strong believer? Because of the faithful instruction of his mother and his grandmother from an early age. I'm sure that there were moments that were so incredibly hard for them. When his mom was having awkward conversations with his dad, when, uh, when he, she was stressed out and worried about whether or not he was going to stick with the faith uh, when she had less influence on him. Uh, there, there were moments when, when dad was upset that they were uh, giving this weird religion to their kids. I, but God was faithful. He saw the faithfulness of these women and he was faithful to them. And you know what else helped in Timothy's case? The other Christians in his life. That the people who are not Timothy's biological family, but they were members of his spiritual family, the church. Uh, People like the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a single man, had no kids, but he called himself a spiritual father to Timothy and invested in him all of his life. If your co-parent is not a believer, uh, then the community of the church is even more important for you and for your kids. Because it's through the examples of other brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual aunts and uncles and moms and dads, uh, that, that, that the love of God is passed on to your kid. Uh, let's turn to the, the final point here. And this is a, a brief one, more of a conclusion than a point. The, the last way you shape the heart of your children is through your reasons, your reasons. Look at verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of the stipulations and decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and to give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Uh, All throughout your child's life, you are going to have to be explaining to them why you live the way you live. Uh, Why do we obey God's commands? Why do we follow Jesus? Uh, Why do we try to love God with all that we have? You got to know ahead of time, what are your reasons? What are your reasons for living the way you do? Is it because we obey God because we're just supposed to? It's just gotta. Uh, We obey God because it makes us feel better about ourselves? Or or we obey God because, you know, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, so we want to try to be a good person? I mean, do do you know the reasons why you obey God? Well, here are the reasons Moses gave. We obey God because God rescued us and because his way is life-giving. He rescued us and his way is life-giving. We obey God not to earn his salvation, but in response to his salvation. We live for God because he sent Jesus to live for us, to save us. Even before we ever turned to him in love, he loved us. We love God with all that we have because God has loved us with all that he has. And because he loves us so much, we know that we can trust him. We we know that he's not gonna go through all of that just to give us a command that's gonna ruin our life. The things he tells us to do, he tells us because he loves us and he wants us to flourish. We can trust God and therefore we can obey him because he is the one who rescued us. 
I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to sing one final song, and it's actually about trusting and obeying God. As we do this, we're going to collect our, our gifts and our offerings, and this is just one of the ways that we express our love for God with all that we have, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that includes our resources. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful that you love the children in our life far more than we ever could. They are more precious to you than they are to us. And so we can trust you with them. God, we pray that you would guide us in this as we try to care for kids and, and invest in them, that you would give us wisdom for each and every kid that we have, the unique things they need so that they will be pointed to you. And God, we pray that you would work on our hearts, that you would teach us to trust you and obey you as we walk with you every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.